Hello everybody and welcome to My Normal Podcast. Today's guest is my good friend Karen from Finance. Karen is a drag queen that has been bringing smiles to people all around the globe and we get into some pretty great topics today. We're touching a lot of great things, everything from growing up in the queer community to what it takes to prepare and develop a show that can wow audiences all around the world. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to all the previous episodes. I'm really having a great time putting all these together. If y'all could do me a massive favor and be sure to like and subscribe and share these podcasts around, that would be greatly appreciated. But enough of this chit chat. I hope you enjoy this chat with the one and only true queen, Karen from Finance. Uh, Alrighty, Richard, welcome. Welcome to my normal. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great because it's like the first nice day of the entire year. Yeah, totally. I have just rolled out of bed and it looks divine out there. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I can actually feel warmth from the sun on my face, which I can't remember the last time I felt. It's lovely. <laughs> yeah, very good. Yeah, I, as I said to you before, I had a big night last night, uh, trivia night and drinking a jug of wet pussy shots. But um I can't wait to go outside and uh, walk to the chicken shop to get some chips and gravy. Uh-huh. And maybe a little <laughs> hair of the dog. Yeah, that will, uh, that will complete me. Um, <laughs> so for the listeners, uh, Richard um, goes by the, uh, the name Karen from Finance, who is one of my slash Australia's favorite drag queens. Um, how's, how's the journey start? for for a drag queen like where 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 do you think is a, is a good spot to start where we can birth the conversation of where Karen from finance started oh sure well I guess we, we can start at the start uh I've been of doing drag time. for seven somewhere between seven and eight years I actually yep. don't know I, I can't remember off the top of my head what year it was that I started yep. but I know it was about seven or eight years ago um it was like uh it was an accidental beginning for me I never meant to like be a drag queen, let alone a performing drag queen. I guess um, I was, I was, I always wanted to be a performer, but I'd kind of given up on that in my early twenties, thinking that it wasn't going to happen because I, I hadn't worked out what context uh, to begin in, what context to start in. When I was younger, I thought I would be, I was interested in acting, but then you know I couldn't sing, I wasn't a model, so I thought oh, that's I'll probably give up on that journey. But drag kind of came later. I was surrounded by performers that were friends, specifically burlesque performers. And right. uh, I was a, a bartender at the time. And I used to, on my nights off, I would go to burlesque bar in Fitzroy and watch the burlesque girls up on stage. And they were in these beautiful sequin gowns, totally made up, you know, dancing around to other people's music. And I just thought they were the most glamorous, beautiful, hilarious things I'd ever seen. And I would sit there with a martini in one hand and wish, I was like, God, I wish I could do something like this. Um, yeah. And then around about, about the same time, I... Uh, you know, was going to house parties and costume parties. And one day I was wearing a, wearing a dress at a friend's house party, kind of nice and trashed and came up with the character of Karen from finances as the, uh, the woman that would have owned the dress when it was brand new off the rack back in the eighties. Yeah. And, uh, so I had the character and the idea of Karen from finance in my head already. Um, and then dressing up and getting into drag and trying out the art form kind of came later. Um, so it was kind of accidental to me. I never set out to be a drag queen. It just kind of happened. Yeah. Had you done much performing on a stage 
before drag? I mean, does drag necessarily, it's, it's not necessarily um, like straight to stage, is it? Like it's, it's going to parties. It's, it's just, uh, you know, I guess what, uh, like adapting this persona. Um, yeah, it, that's exactly right. I think that um, b- being uh, being a good or a successful drag queen isn't specifically about being the best on stage performer. It's all encompassing, um, and it's about nailing the the character and who you present, the personality that you present uh, yeah. on and off the stage. Yeah, and I mean, I guess another like it's not always an entertainer. Like it's it can sometimes just be. You know, I'm just going to go down to the club as as Karen from Finance tonight. Yeah, totally. One Saturday a yeah. month, you could. <laughs> that's yeah. enough to make you, uh, you know, a queen. But uh, yeah. yeah, so I guess I I was I was certainly um, around as Karen from Finance for a good year or so before I ever considered getting on the stage. And actually, I wasn't really interested in getting on the stage. What I what I enjoyed from it was uh, the liberation of people not knowing who I was, that not knowing that Karen was Richard and going out as Karen and pretending to be Karen and really yeah. like encompassing the character. And then a friend asked me uh, to do a performance spot at their party one night. Uh, it was like a queer alternative party in the city. And um, I kind of freaked out a little bit, but I liked the, op- I liked the idea of the opportunity. And took it by the horns and uh i since doing that first that first show i haven't looked back yeah it would have been really exciting especially like there was a as a crowd of friends i imagine it was all friends um and it was that kind of you know being friends it's the most supportive crowd i could have gotten up on you know and and wet myself on stage and they still would have <laughs> clapped and cheered and said i was fabulous but it was really i mean it's just it you, you would know from you know playing in bands getting up on stage in front of your friends and doing something that you love. There's no better feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, did you, did you dive into music at all? Uh, is there any playing or anything like that? Do you play an instrument? Yeah. Well, well, I, I, I dove into, it. I tried, I play a little, I play a little bit of guitar. guitar. I can, yeah. uh, you know, I can get through a whole song. You can niddle. <laughs> and, um, I, at first I wanted to, I really wanted to play keys when I was younger. I tried, I did piano lessons for a few years, but I just could never get past you know, that bit where you're, you know, I could, I could, I could, I could never get it. Uh, yeah. Guitar, guitar was a little easier for me because it was something that I could, you know, sit in my bedroom and I didn't have to learn. I didn't have to learn like keys and ranges. I just could get tabs off the internet and play my favorite band songs. So okay, cool. I, I got a bit better at guitar, but um, never great. <laughs> good yeah. enough to, um, good enough to, I used I, to busk a little bit. I used to busk a little bit. <laughs> yeah, right. What were your, uh, what was like your go-to busking songs? Oh, well, I mean, because of my, the time and what I was interested in, I only played uh, like Silverchair and Little Birdie songs. And uh, <laughs> the, the the good thing about busking when you were like a terrible musician like me is that I say I had six songs in my repertoire. By the time I got through six, no one was sticking around for that whole six. So I could just play the same songs over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> what was um, what was the first album you purchased? Or what, actually, what was the first album you were given? Yeah. And then what was the first album you purchased? Well, the first, the, the first, I, it was actually an EP. I got Silverchairs Tomorrow when I was six. Um, that was, that was the first, um, that, that was the first CD that I had, but um, it would have been, it would have been Silverchairs Neon Ballroom was the first album that I got into yeah. um, a few years later. And the first album that I purchased um you know, I guess it would have been straight after that. I guess it would have been Diorama. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's 
That's that's a good one. I think I was, um, <laughs> I was I was given Alanis Morissette's jagged pill, and the oh, first yeah. one I purchased was Californication. Okay, of course. Yeah. Again, again, great options. Yeah. <laughs> I think jagged little pill was a lot of people's first. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, where did you grow up? I grew up in Melbourne. I grew up in the southeastern suburbs, um, yep. in a around like the Hallam Warren area. I went to school in Dandenong. I went to a you know, a private Catholic school in Dandenong. <laughs> yeah. I was a fairly good, I was a fairly good kid. Actually, I was a very good, I was a very good student. I was like yeah. a bit of a teacher's pet when I was younger and the, the rebellion didn't start till a little later. <laughs> yeah. What would, uh, what were you sort of excelling at, at school? Did you, or did you not excel? <laughs> like, tell, tell me about your, uh, your, your academics. Oh, sure. I was a good student. I was, uh, but I excelled in, in drama and media. Um, yeah. Year 12, I got top marks in, in both subjects. Um, again, it was like I always had the dream that I would either be an entertainer or a filmmaker, one of the two. And yeah. uh, my backup plan was always if neither of those succeed, then I would be a bartender and work in nightlife <laughs> forever, yeah. which the year out of school, that's exactly what I was doing. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so uh, Karen Finance is sort of your full-time job? Yes, Karen from Binance is my full-time job. She's been yeah. my full-time job for quite a number of years now. I think uh, I think it's probably been three or four years, maybe three years that I've been working full-time as Karen. Um, yeah. It was a pretty quick and swift uh, change from doing it as a hobby into something that I considered as a career. Um, it, I was, I'm so privileged to be able to do it. I never ever would have anticipated that, that this would be a thing. And I think when I started working full-time as Karen, it wasn't really the done thing around the world for drag queens to consider yeah. doing drag as a full-time job. i not to say that I was one of the first, but I am one of the ones in the era of drag queens first really making drag their full-time living. Yeah. When, um, when was it sort of the right time in like your, um, I guess like your, your journey to realize that you could probably make the break and, and do this like, like professionally and, and seriously with passion? Yeah. Well, it, the crossover took about, um, took about 18 months. I was working a full-time job. I was an operations manager. I used to run a couple of, a couple of bars and clubs and, uh, I really wanted to get into, working for myself, I thought that that would be opening my own bar. So I was doing drag as a hobby on the side, uh, but I quit my full-time job to study business management, small business management. Mm -hmm. And uh, to supplement my income, I got a job at both a cafe and a bar. So I was kind of, I was, work, I was working jobs that weren't so demanding of my time, especially my creative time, so that I could focus on my course at the same time. Uh, the course ended up, I, I did it with a terrible uh, institution. I never finished it. I, ha I actually hardly started it. Um, but at that exact same time, performing really took off for me and I started getting a lot of gigs coming through. So the first job to go was the cafe. Um, I couldn't do like the early morning, Saturday, Sunday shifts after, you know, being out in drag all night, serving customers coffees with Panda eyes. <laughs> yeah. So I was then trying to juggle doing drag and uh, working at a pub at the same time and eventually one that took over the other. Yeah. Right. Mm. It was a hard, it was a hard decision because, you know, it was great to be offered Saturday night gigs. Uh, but I didn't know how long I was going to be offered them. Maybe I could 
maybe if I quit the pub, I would get three, four Saturday night gigs and then I would never do drag again. It was, it was really scary, but I guess it, you have to take these risks. Otherwise you never know. Yeah. What was sort mm. of, I mean, it's, I mean, it's definitely a creative space, but what, what were some of the things that you changed in your, was it, did you change things in your act or did you change the way and you did business to, to sort of be able to um, establish yourself? Actually it was, it was mainly in the way that I changed uh, the way I did business. Um, yeah. it was the, 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 shift wasn't just a shift in getting more work. The shift was, um, creating a website, releasing merchandise, um, rather than waiting for gigs to come to me, I would kind of chase gigs down myself, signing up with or attempting to sign up with agencies or get in touch with marketing companies. It was a real, it was a real push and shift in business. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, from, for the listeners, uh, Richard and I met, like I was the production manager for GH Hotels. Um, and so we, we spent a good probably five years uh, together um, mm. in, the, in the performance space and that sort of stuff. And um, for anyone wondering what happens uh, in, in like the, the ins and outs um, business-wise and how to, how to run a gay bar, it's, it's exactly the same as like running a band and all that sort of stuff. Like there's, it doesn't really matter what's on stage as to how you treat or how you promote or, or all that sort of stuff. It's, it's a definitely got its dip demographics like anything does much like you wouldn't promote a, 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 a jazz bar to a metal guy. Um, it's yeah, you're, you're buying merchandise, you're doing all that sort of stuff. And, and it really is just the same, the same business model as, as everything else, except it's just a, it's a, it's a very extravagant um, product <laughs> product under the spotlight, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're actually exactly right. That was what um, when when drag started becoming a bit more of a business for me. I started realizing that all of my years working in nightlife and you know running bars and running events, I realized that I could translate everything that I knew in those businesses into my business as an entertainer. And it's ex- yeah. you're right. It's exactly the same as you know advertising a DJ spot or a you know a drink special at a bar. You're advertising yourself as an entertainer. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's obviously so much more than that. Um, <laughs> yes, it's, it's so much more than that. It's, oh my gosh. It's, I mean, it's, it's also so expensive. Drag is, drag is a ridiculous, um, is a r- ridiculous thing, which I, I've learned now that we're in this crazy lockdown is that I was just pumping money into my business, into my drag. Um, yeah. and I think, you know, I think I'm probably going to approach it differently moving forward, but it was, I always found that, you know, if I had big gigs, you know, one week and then big gigs the next, I could never wear the same thing. I could never have the same number. I could never do the same performance. So I was constantly investing money and trying to sh- change and shake things up. And that's just not like, it's not a, um, it's not a good way to go about business. It's, it's a really bad business choice to do that. Yeah. Talk me through the, uh, the processes of, of developing a brand new number. For, okay. For... Well, so let, let's call it the, the platform is you have got a headlining um, seven shows around, um, around Australia, promoted mm-hmm. by the wonderful Stephen Craddock. Um, where do you start? Well, I think the first thing to do is consider uh, the theme or the purpose behind the show. Are we doing a, are we doing a comedy show? Are we doing like a, a special season show, like a Halloween show or a Christmas show? What's, what's the theme of the event? Um, so that, uh, that's, that's always point number one. Point number two is what's, um, what's happening in pop culture at the moment. Are there references, 
uh, are there references in pop culture that I can take from? Is there music that's popular that I can steal from? How do I, how do I reference pop culture to be, to be relevant for that specific time and that specific tour? Um, and then at the same time, uh, as looking in pop culture, looking in the news as well and looking into politics, um, is there a political reference or a news reference that I can put in there too? Um, and then once you have those, my, my kind of system is that once I have those three things, how do I make it funny? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, which is, I mean, it's, it's, it's that, that kind of system has always worked for me. It's, uh, uh, I can pump something stupid out. That's relevant to that tour. It might not necessarily work, um, in the long term. Like if I'm, if I'm creating a performance that's, you know, in reference to the political landscape or something that's happening in pop culture, you know, in January, it might not be relevant six months down the line. So it might not be a permanent number, but the gems usually, the, the, the gems are usually found by doing that. And then something really sticks. Yep. And then, um, so how where where do you go in terms of uh designing the themes of the costumes and um all that sort of stuff where where do you start like how do, how do you yeah that's a good that's a good question there's um start on like a drawing board and then you go to a seamstress or like yeah it's kind of like i mean i i guess most people and i and i try and do this it would be you know if i'm creating a new look or a new costume it would be to relate it to the performance um, but more often than not for me that the costume would actually come first and I would, uh, I, costumes are like, uh, how do I, how do I describe costumes are like when you're a little kid and you, um, you know what you want for Christmas and you obsess over it and you can't get past it and it's all you want. And then Christmas comes and you get it and you enjoy it for like a week or two. And then you move on to the next, what do I want next? What do I want next? Yeah. It's real, like awful consumerism. Um, yeah. but costumes, are. Yeah, costume, and I guess the is costume the right word. Yeah, costume's the right. Costume is yeah. the exact right word because, um, I mean, it depends on the type of drag you're doing. For me, it's very character based. It's very comedy based. Yeah. So I'm costuming a character. Yeah, for other, I mean, it's not always a dress. No, no, absolutely not. Um, yeah. You know, Karen from finance. For me, it's usually a suit of some kind. Yeah. Um, but yeah, costumes, costuming is, is funny and, and it, uh, every, every different performance or every different look kind of comes about for a different reason. Yeah. Now, can you correct me if I'm, wrong, if I'm wrong, but you're essentially like the, other than what you said of um, like Karen from France was born at a party. I remember mm-hmm. hearing you, you spoke to a Karen from finance. You were on the phone to someone in Geelong or something. Um, and you, and you were put on hold and you were like, fuck, who is this? Chick? Oh, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Um, so that's a, <laughs> this is a, this is a performance that I made years and years and years ago that has, it's one of the gems that have stuck that I, I, I still do today. It's a, yeah. um, there was a, a woman in New Zealand, actually, I think she might've been in Dunedin. I'm not, I, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, a lady in New Zealand called Karen, um, had lent someone $20 and was really angry that they hadn't paid her back. So she called this person whose name was Rachel, uh, and left a voice message demanding that she gives her a $20 back. But the, uh, the voice message was left on the incorrect number and circumstantially, whoever received the message thought it was so funny and put it on YouTube. 
Yeah. And uh, it just became this iconic thing around New Zealand. And sure enough, because of the Karen name, I got onto it. Um, and it, she kind of went viral. So that was me looking at something that was happening in pop culture and being like, oh, this is funny. It's relatable to me. How do I use this in a number? So I mixed it with uh, Abba's Money, Money, Money and Rihanna's Bitch Better Have My Money. And there yeah. you have a wonderful pop culture reference two and a half minute spot number for a drag queen <laughs> yeah i remember yeah. Uh, i remember you pulling that out in um in new zealand um yes i can't, can't remember who who it was for whether it be like i can't remember um and <laughs> do how, how do you find putting together like a, a number like that uh, and getting you know working it around Australia and then taking it to another country, say as like, such as New Zealand, where it's featuring, you know, like uh, a New Zealand, um, like I guess you would say like pop culture reference. How do you find it translates? So much better. <laughs> it's yeah. it's so exciting. Where that number, I kind of similarly to how you asked me. Actually, I was just reading the other day that someone someone was talking about that specific performance, and they were under the impression that it was me putting on a voice, like I'd recorded myself, and that was a, it was a made up joke. Yeah. Whereas when I take something like that to New Zealand, they know exactly what it is. They get the reference, and so they just yeah. find it. I guess they, you know kind of find they understand it more so they find it funnier i can um something similar to that is uh the first performance I ever made was a number about getting fired and i used julia gillard's sexism and misogyny speech yeah and uh i've kind of i've been performing that for years and years and years but i did it in canberra once for the first time and uh circumstantially you know there's a lot of politicians yeah. in the audience i really liked it and i didn't I didn't kind of put two and two together that it was a, you know, a prime minister speech in Canberra until I was on stage and halfway through the number and realized what was coming up. And I was like, Oh my God, are they going to like this? And sure enough, it went down a treat. Yeah. I, re I remember that one. Mm. <laughs> that was, um, was that the, the cart, like the first Cartier tour or something like that? Um, gosh, when did I, like, no, I like think, the, I the think first, the first, first theater we did in Canberra. Yeah, was the that... first, first show of the run. Yeah, that's right. I definitely, I definitely did it. If uh, opening for a Trixie show once uh, in Canberra, yeah, that's that's yeah. exactly right. I did do it there. Yeah, Is it either Trixie or um or Alaska, one of those. I remember the big letters on the stage. Yeah, sure. <laughs> which, 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 well, I mean, that doesn't narrow it down. We did letters on the stage for everyone. Free wide. <laughs> <laughs> um, the um. Oh, yeah, God, there was, I mean, there's so many. There was another one you did at, um, at the roundhouse and you had your keyboard. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I remember that one being a favorite one of mine too. The keyboard act is, um, is really stupid. It's so simple. It's, it's, it's not an edited song. It's just quite simply a thousand miles by Vanessa Carlton. But, um, I, rather than just, you know, lip syncing the lyrics, I, I mind playing the keyboard as well. Um, and that number was created because we were doing our first ever show in a Spiegel tent. Yep. And I, I wanted to, I wanted to find a way to use the, um, use the, use the tent itself as part of the number. What was, what was something I kind of special that I could, I could use a Spiegel tent for. And they've got an amazing rigging system right in the middle. So I added, uh, the kind of the epilogue from Phantom of the Opera where it's a famous scene where the chandelier comes down from the ceiling. Mm -hmm. and uh 
I just, I just kind of put tacked that onto the start of a thousand miles. And instead of releasing a chandelier, I released a keyboard that was covered in silver rhinestones and diamantes and then played Vanessa Carlton's song. And it was so stupid and such a fun number that, yeah, I now, I now do it all the time. I've taken that number around the world. It's so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a hit. <laughs> it's a hit. <laughs> yeah. Um, tell me, so, um, tell me about yummy, yummy. Um, from what I gather, it's sort of like a variety show, but it's it's obviously not just you. It's 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 a bunch of your your good friends, and you're you're putting on a show. But that's you've had a, quite a lot of success um, uh, with with Yummy, uh, like Edinburgh and all that sort of thing, haven't you? Yeah. So Yummy was uh, Yummy was a a show that came about a a few years ago now. There were my there were myself and a whole bunch of of close friends that were experimenting in drag. Um, and I guess at the time it was considered alternative drag because we were a troupe that incorporated both men and women, drag performers, burlesque performers. Uh, there was, it was kind of like a whole range of diverse uh, personalities that were experimenting with performance under the drag umbrella. And it was something that we weren't seeing in Melbourne. We didn't really know what it was ourselves, uh, So we put together a, a show um, under the umbrella name Yummy um, and each just kind of went spot number by spot number by spot number, bookcased it by a group number at the start and end. And we did it for a, um, a midwinter fundraiser in a, or a mid, midwinter festival show in Melbourne at the top in town expecting there to be maybe 20 or 30 people, you know, 20 or 30 friends that came along. But when the curtain went up, it was a, um, it was a sold out house and we were terrible. We looked ugly. Our costumes were bad. Our performances were trash, uh, but the crowd just ate it up and loved it. And I think that it was the first time um, our friends and our kind of audience had seen anything like it. So we, we, we stuck to it and we, we kept working on the show and trying to polish it and polish it and polish it until uh, we, we did it. We did the show again for the first time. You know, it was a big production for the Melbourne comedy festival a couple of years ago. We ended up winning um, the green room award for best cabaret production and best cabaret ensemble. And wow. it was like a two and a half hour extravaganza. We spent so much money on getting the most amazing lighting production done for the show. And it was a, yeah, it was a real hit. It was some, we'd kind of, we'd made something that we we're really proud of that was bigger than us. And so we just pushed it as far as we could. And we're lucky enough to tour it to Edinburgh a couple of two years ago. And, We've, we had a season in London last year. It's just become this amazing, you know, really fun experience. Yeah. What was it like? Because, uh, I mean, uh, obviously drag is a very one-on-one, uh, -on -one, uh, as in it, it's, a, it's a soul, you know, your solo performer sort of thing. What was it like now collaborating with um, other performers and creating a, a show rather than, a, than sort of like a, a specific number? Yeah, of course. It was well. It was really fun to bring together so many different personalities and try and not blend them together, but find a way to collaborate and produce production material that uh, encapsulates everyone's powers. Uh, it was. It's kind of. It's a. It's a really tricky thing to do. And you know, hats off to our director and producer uh, James Wellsby, otherwise known as Valerie Hex, who choreographed um, the group numbers in the show, and is really the brains the brain trust behind Yummy, he, uh, he put together those group numbers and they're things that we've developed, you know, consistently as we've, uh, as we've done reiterations of the show over the years. Um, it's kind of, it is a really difficult, 
difficult process, but I think it really is just about highlighting everyone's unique personalities and everyone's unique uh, uh, talents, I guess. Yeah. Mm. How, um, because I mean, as as you alluded to before, it's not your traditional uh, drag performance. How, um, I mean, a, a comedy festival or like an Edinburgh festival isn't your typical uh i guess like gay gay bar um or mm-hmm. like the that sort of community um uh clientele how how is the how is it perceived in that in the gay world when you're essentially going out <clears throat> performing to uh, a larger audience um and also manipulating the traditional you know uh art that is that is drag and um and doing your own spin on it yeah, of course. Well, uh, it's certainly kind of, it's, it's, it's handy that drag has, um, been more accepted by the mainstream over the mm. last few years. People, uh, broader society has really had their eyes open up to what drag is. People are not scared of it as much as they used to be. They're not as afraid of it. There, and people are really ready to kind of show their allyship and really go and enjoy and and sink their teeth into a drag show and have fun with it. People are, are excited about the idea of experimenting with, you know, and, and seeing something outside of the box of what they would usually go and see at a, you know, a fringe festival or a comedy festival. Um, and that said, at the same time, drag, when it's done, you know, as a celebration and as a comedy is a really, really fun and exciting and engaging thing to watch. So yeah. in those festivals, not only is it something I guess different for them to see uh, as opposed to, you know, the typical theater and cabaret that usually get at a festival like that, but it's a, it's a, it's a party at the same time. So it's a really fun show to go and see on a, you know, on a Friday, Saturday night after you've seen some theater and some circus and then just really go and have fun. It's like a dance party on stage. Yeah. Is there, um, is there a lot of harsh critics, uh, in the drag world? Uh, in the drag, yeah, yes. Oh my gosh, of course. Well, it's actually, it's kind of funny that the gays are the harshest critics of them all. You know, it's the yeah. ones that, the ones that you would presume to love drag the most are actually the ones that criticize you the most. Yeah. Um, I guess that comes with passion, I guess. It comes with passion. You know, they, it's like drag is their baby. They want to see it done right. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of harsh critics out there. I mean, it's kind of, kind of like anything you never, you never know what your audience is going to, is going to think of the show we uh when it comes down to yummy we've had some great reviews you know we when we did edinburgh we had sold out shows we got five star reviews in the scotsman it was a really well received show but um we got one review during that season i think it was one or two stars and um the, i can't remember what the word was that the reviewer used but basically referred to me as the host uh, as someone that can't get like an erection <laughs> what's that word <laughs> I, I, gosh, I wish I could remember what the word was, but um, like erectile dysfunction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I thought this, I mean it was cruel, but uh, yeah. you know, in comparison to how the show was being received by everyone else, it, we just yeah. popped it on the chin and moved on. Like, had you like forgotten the the gaffer, or like? <laughs> uh, it was so weird. It was his way of saying that I was flat. Uh, <laughs> right. It was. I mean, it was really stupid thing to be said. So yeah. you're going to get harsh critics everywhere. Um, yeah, totally. And you know, drag isn't for everyone, so whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess it helps to be uh, surrounded by five star uh, reviews and sold out rooms to be able to to be able to take that criticism. Yeah, actually, it reminds. Me, I did. A, I did. I debuted my first solo show um, out of office last year, and I presented it at Fringe World in Perth earlier this year in January. Um, 
and it was received really well. I think I got like, uh, I won the People's Choice Award by the West Australian and I won Best Comedy in the first week. So it was, wow. it was a well-received show. But then the worst review I got was from out in Perth, which is the only queer publication to come and review the festival. So, you know, it was like the broader society loved the show, whereas it was the gays that didn't think it was that great. So, you know, right. go, go figure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fascinating. Like it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it exists everywhere. Like, uh, you know, like <laughs> the first, like one of my bands got reviewed in, um, in Rolling Stones once and like, uh, you, you're surrounded by five star reviews and Rolling Stone gave us like one star. And I was just like, oh. <laughs> like really wanted to put that on the fridge. That oh, fuck. All right. Well, there goes that dream. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, oh, well, I made it, Ma. <laughs> yeah, it's such a shame. It can be, I mean, yeah, and you just have to cop it on the chin. It's very easy to let things like that get you down, but you don't do it for reviewers. You do it for your audience and you do it for yourself. And, you know, if you're having fun and they're having fun, what's <laughs> you're doing your job properly. Yeah. Um, growing up, uh, when, when did you, what age did you come out? I came out when I was 18. 18 um, yeah. yeah, I came out when I was 18. It was, uh, I found it pretty tough, um, but I was received really well. So yeah. it was kind of one of those hurdles that once I, I got over, I was obviously so much more comfortable with it, but I, uh, I waited till I was 18 because I was really, um, I was really scared of coming out. It took me, yeah, it took me a long time to grow the confidence to be able to do that. Yeah. Is there any sort of advice you can give to uh, potential young listeners in terms of like how to approach this? Um, I, I mean, obviously it's different for everyone, but uh, yeah, any any advice you can you can give? I mean, young young and old. I mean, anything really. How's 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 that transition um, to a lifestyle to uh, trying uh, to sort of uh, release yourself, but to to uh, to put the flame out and, and um, be not judged uh, for these decisions. Yeah, it's a great question. Well, the I guess the best advice that I've ever thought that I could give or feel like I can give is for people to really take their time and not and not rush it. Um, you do it when you're ready and when you're comfortable. Never put mm -hmm. yourself in a situation uh, where you are not like in control and you don't have the confidence to be yourself. So if you're not if you're not ready, you're not ready. But yeah. um, at the same time, if you can find that confidence and find that willingness to, you know, to be your true self, there is a whole, not even a whole community, there's a whole world out there that are willing to accept and celebrate you. So do it. I, yeah. If, and to, to young or old, do it when you're ready, but like be excited about doing it because the, you'll, the, you'll never look back. Yeah. And there is, there is a, uh, tremendously huge community out there that will accept you with, with warm open arms um, uh, whether you do it or whether you don't um, uh, uh, yes and it's, it's I guess it's it's why it's also so important that um, places like the GH or, or or that sort of thing that were you know full-time gay bars existed that, that's they, they existed not only as a gay bar for a place of entertainment and uh, employment for for you know a culture of people but it's a safe space uh, for people to be able to explore their own identity uh, in a safe space um, and and just just compare notes um, 
Yeah, it's a, a space to find yourself. It's a yeah. it's a space to find yourself and find your community. And uh, we live in a great time now where it's more accepted than ever before. And, you know, we're starting to see some true representation in the media, on TV and movies, a- everywhere, really. But yeah. um, the purpose of a gay bar, it's, 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 it's still, it still has its need in society, I believe, because it's one thing to see your people represented out there, but it's, an, it's another to truly experience it. And, uh, uh, you know, queer safe spaces and gay bars, et cetera, a, a great place to, to find yourself and find your community. Yeah. It's a safe space to celebrate really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, my, my time, uh, as a straight male, like, um, like I spent seven years at, at the GH and it was always something that like, I, um, yeah, it was it was it was difficult at times, but ultimately I had to keep reminding myself that I am I am in your their house. Um, so I've got to run at the pace of of the of the business model. I've got to deal with the you know the dramas and all that sort of stuff. Um, I imagine um, for a young person like stepping into this community uh, could be really like quite daunting. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I've got a very thick, thick skin and, you know, a lot of people gave me shit for, for whatever reason. And, and I've even got a, a couple or well, one queen in particular who, uh, <laughs> who messages me, uh, roughly every two to three years and calling me a fucking useless cunt. Oh. Um, <laughs> not naming uh, anyone. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but, uh, yeah, she's, uh, she's clearly on her own journey. Um, and that's I, exactly I was, right. I've obviously had a profound effect on her that, that, um, that escapes me as to why that would be. Um, but, uh, yeah, like it's, it's a, it's a tough, it's, it's a tough space, um, for, for, for a visitor, I guess. To, um, it's a tough to space. To... Yeah. For, for, for anyone that's, whether, you know, you feel like an outsider or, or new to the community or new to the space, it, it, it can be, it can be a tough space, but it can also be, um, as, as, as well as being a tough space, it can be a really welcoming space for everyone that's in there, that's there, that's, you know, going to have an attitude and be nasty and, um, and, and, and all of that sort of thing. There's another person that's, you know, there to welcome you with open arms. Um, it's just certainly a daunting space to go into. Um, and it can be hard to find your people. I mean, I, I couldn't think of anything worse when I was 18 years old of like walking into a gay bar alone, not knowing anyone and <laughs> hoping to meet someone. That's, that's really, that's a really hard thing to do. But, um, yeah. uh, but uh, there are people there that will welcome you and the space exists for people exactly like you, you know, and uh, everyone's welcome. You don't have to be a, you don't have to be a gay person. You don't have to be a young queer person. There's, there's room for everyone. Yeah. And this is the appeal. Unless it's the people, <laughs> but we did. We created some great memories at that um, at that space when we were working there. I, my my favorite memory of of um, you know working with you in that in that bar was I remember we had a big fundraiser one night for the victims of the Orlando Pulse nightclub shooting. Um, yep. I just came. I was overseas when it happened. I wasn't with my people, and I had a, this incredible urge takeover to be with like the queer community. And uh, thankfully, the GH had organised that fundraiser, um, which was on the weekend that I got back, and uh, I was privileged to ask to be performed there. And um, I had all the drag queens come on stage together for my number. You created some amazing visuals and lights, and we did. Um, 
True Colors by um, Cindy Lauper. And yeah. I think the entire house was sobbing, um, yeah. but everyone was holding hands and I'd never felt more like part of a, an amazing community in my entire life. It was the most beautiful night. Yeah, you um yeah, you you pretty much just stole my lead line into into where I was going this uh, Oh no. Is <laughs> going going along the lines of like I've done a lot of uh really uh massive passion projects of mine like I've traveled the world and that sort of stuff, but I've got uh that is up there with one of my favorite performances. Uh was wow. when you did True Colors in that. That was like one of the first times that I really like identified with the community of that it is like such like a delicate form of um, uh, expression and like the, the 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 ability to to do what you do and and to bring a room together in time of tragedy um, was just like just so like such a moving experience and um, yeah it was it was it was a spiritual moment like it was um, it was. It yeah. was, uh, yeah, I, I, I actually mentioned it in another podcast and I, I actually misquoted it and thought it was the, um, the, the fundraiser we did for the AIDS one when the, um, the MH whatever flight went missing. Oh yeah. The M180. Um, M- no, no it that- was, sure. I, I remember the one, but yeah, it was definitely this, the, the Cindy Lauper moment was definitely for the, the Orlando the Pulse yeah. nightclub. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. It was just such a harrowing time. Yeah. That was, yeah, ab- absolutely. One of, yeah, one of my most memorable performances. And um, when I do uh, think back to my time um, in, in both touring around in the gay world and also living in the gay world in the gay uh, bars and that sort of stuff, I, I do have um, mixed emotions about the place, but I, all I've got to do is really think back to that performance and just realize how powerful and how, um, how much I've learned um through through the community um just mm. for my own self gain but also just like just to just observe what's going on around you and 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 we really are living in a in a very beautiful space yeah if you if you look for the beauty you can see it yeah absolutely um so your uh last two uh um your out of office tour that was mm. your first um like Karen from finance is headlining your touring festival. Um, my first, my first solo show. Yeah. Yeah. How, um, how was the lead up to that? How were, um, how was that opposed to doing like a, a, a hosting support role for a, for a RuPaul's queen around the country versus getting up there and headlining? How was it? How was it? Yeah, sure. That's a great question because I, yeah, in terms of like touring nationally, my, what I was used to was doing a, you know, a five minute opening spot for an international headliner and, and then kind of get off the stage and, and that was it. But it was so weird to be that headliner myself, I guess. And, and, uh, you know, know that the audience is there for you and only you, it was uh, very yeah. daunting, but I mean, it was just so exciting, such an amazing experience. I spent, I spent about 12 months, uh, creating the show. Um, yep. I really wanted to create an, like a narrative, almost like a theatrical performance rather than a nightclub show. Um, I collaborated with a whole bunch of, of different creatives. I had a co-writer, I had a co-director. Um, I had a whole bunch of people work with me on, on developing and creating the idea. And uh, it was, it, it's just truly one of the most exciting and special things I've ever done. I toured the show in September, 2019. Yep. Uh, I did all the cities in Australia and New Zealand. And then I went on and did a, uh, a season at Fringe World in Perth in uh, Jan 2020. And 
had huge plans for continuing touring the show throughout 2020, but of course COVID happened. So, um, that, that, that was kind of put to rest for a, a short time, I hope, but I'm looking forward to bringing the show back again and kind of continuing with that touring plan once COVID's over. Yep. What's, um, what's keeping you busy during COVID? Well, uh, riding the roller coaster has taken up most of my mental space. <laughs> yeah. Uh, many ups and many downs. Um, but I guess to, to summarize what's been keeping me busy, it hasn't been any tangible projects. It's really just been, uh, the, the journey of rediscovering who I am as an individual and who Karen is as an entertainer. Um, what are the fundamentals of why I do what I do, why, um, what, what I get out of it and what, what I want to achieve and get out of being Karen and being an entertainer moving into the future. Um, I've had some dark days where I've thought, oh my God, why do you even do this? It's over, cancel it, become a receptionist, work a nine to five. <laughs> but then I've yeah. had other days where I thought like, you know, I'm going to create the world down and just only make amazing art moving forward. It's uh, I think, yeah, what's really taken up my headspace and been a really fun and challenging thing to work through has just been to work out what my place is in the world and in my industry and how I can better myself moving forward. Yep. Hmm. Very good. Um, who uh, Who's exciting you coming up in the world of drag? Well, we are uh, rounding on the end of the first season of Canada's Drag Race. Right. Um, so we're seeing something outside of America yet again, which is great. And there is a, a queen you know, in the top four called Jimbo, who is, uh, you know, is primarily a clown. Uh, and she's, I think her drag is really, really exciting. I think the she's showing the world something in the, in the drag scene that we haven't necessarily seen on TV before. So I'm excited to see what she is going to bring post, uh, post show and post COVID. Yeah. Uh, and then to go back to a more local sense, I'm really excited to see what a lot of Australian performers uh, are about to bring to the world. I, I think a lot of drag Queens in Australia have been going through a similar, you know, set of thoughts as I have in COVID um, about reevaluating who they are as an entertainer and what they want to bring to the world when, when this is over and more the kind of, to be more specific, the, the cast of yummy, there's an amazing burlesque performer called Zelia Rose um, from Melbourne. Who's really been rediscovering herself as an entertainer and a burlesque performer. She's been yeah. working in video. She's got some great stuff coming out. Valerie Hex, the director with, uh, with Dita Von Teese too, hasn't she? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. So all really all the, all the cast of yummy. Um, I, I'm, I'm excited to see what, what they're going to bring to the world post COVID they've got, they've all been working on some amazing projects. Yeah. Cool. Mm. Um, RuPaul's Drag Race. That's, I mean, uh, that, that's, that's news to me that they've uh, left or they've, they've done something outside of the States. Um, is, is that exciting for you in, in the fact that there's potential for, um, you know, a space to open up on a show like that for someone like yourself? Well, I'm, yeah, Yes. Yes. And no, I'm excited. So they've branched out from America. They did a season in the UK last year. They've done two seasons in Thailand and they've, the Canada season is on TV now. They've just recently announced that they're doing a season in Holland of all places. Um, wow. So RuPaul's Drag Race Holland is coming next year, but then uh, they, there is, there has been rumor for a few years about an Australian season of Drag Race. Yeah. And 
first and foremost, if it happens, I couldn't be more excited. I will absolutely apply. I'd love the opportunity to do it. But what I'm more so excited about the prospect of happening in Australia is our own version of a TV show that celebrates Australian drag. I would love yep. to, um, I would love to see something new and something different, excited, uh, sorry, developed in Australia for Australians. And I would love to see something that isn't competition based. I think that, um, drag race has its place and has been an incredible show to watch for as a drag performer and an incredible thing for audiences to see. But I, I think that the world is ready to see something that's, um, that's new, different, exciting, and not competition-based because the world of drag is not a competition. You know, it's collaborative. We're all sisters. We're here to work together. I'd love to yeah. say something that explores a different side of drag. Yeah. I mean, you could say the same about like American Idol or Australian Idol or The Voice and that sort of stuff. Like it's, totally. it's, not, a, it's not a space where you have the luxury of having um, uh, four people turn up to your show and, and critique you. Yeah, that's exactly right. They say mm -hmm. invest in, um, in, you know, the drag race alternate, uh, the... Dragula by the Bull Lay Brothers. They say something at the end of every episode along the lines of, "We're not here to judge your drag. Drag is, you know, your own personal expression. It's your own creative outlet. So who are we to say what's good and what isn't? That's up to up to yeah. you." And I really respect that that idea. Yeah, cool. Um, sweet. I think that's pretty much um, everything I've got for you today. Is there anything um, anything you uh, you wish that I've asked? No, I don't think so. You asked some great questions. I enjoyed yeah. answering them. Uh, it's really, you. it's been really nice chatting because again, I, you know, when I say I've been on like a journey of like rediscovering myself and working it out, talking of like kind of talking about these nostalgic events and going back inside is really, it's really helpful uh, to have this opportunity to, you know, think about things that I may, may have forgotten or it's really, it's been lovely. <laughs> Very good. Lovely. Um... The last thing I do on uh, on these things, I'm still yet to uh, to figure out a name for this segment. <clears throat> Excuse me, but um, put yourself in the scenario where you are an independent record label uh, executive, mm -hmm. uh, Richard's uh, <laughs> I don't know, Richard's uh, Record Emporium. Okay, um, you've got a <clears throat> a venue booked at South by Southwest, which is the uh, global music conference, um, mm -hmm. and you've got to choose five bands that represent your record label. Who would those five bands be? And oh, with wow. this, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna start a, um, a Spotify or an Apple Music playlist, and um, it's basically just gonna be the ultimate uh, creative inspiration uh, playlist for everyone to enjoy. Okay, that's a really that's a really good question. It's a tough question. Um, but it's, a, it's an exciting one. It can be one. past or present too, by the way. Past mm. or present. Yeah. Oh my God. You make that really difficult. Okay. Um, well, the first two, the first two are easy. The first one I'm going to put forward my favorite band currently. Um, they're called Dawes from LA. Um, D-O-Z? D-A-W-E-S. Um, I yeah, don't think. I said. <laughs> oh, is that right? Sorry, I don't think that ever that that never sign on to my record label, but I'd be I'd be so proud to have them. <laughs> yeah, um, it's not up to them. <laughs> it's not up to them. There you go. Yeah, we run um, this world. Okay, sure. I'm gonna go with um, some South Australian favorites, Electric Fields. Yeah, they're gonna be one of those. Oh well, it was a um, a very very handsome, amazing engineer by the name of Aiden. Uh, wow. I don't know if you've heard of him. <laughs> he sounds cool. Check out his podcast. Like and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you know what? For the other three, for the sake of it, I'm gonna I'm gonna put up my good friend from Little Birdie, as mentioned earlier, Katie Steele. Um, yeah. 
well, let's let's sign her up on her new solo project. Let's put Daniel, old mate Daniel from Silverchair. Let's sign them back up. <laughs> yeah, and then let's go old school. Let's um. Let's get Dolly Parton on there as well. I was going to say, I thought that was going to be number one. How could I not have my Dolly? Dolly. You've got a little birdie tattoo, don't you? I do. My entire yeah. back. <laughs> <laughs> I actually That's have a, um, I have a, I have a neon ballroom um, tattoo by Silverchair as well, but it's been, it's since been covered up twice and I regret both cover-ups. I wish it was still visible. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's the next tattoo? Um, I think I've, I've not given up, but I've, I'm, I'm taking a break. I don't have any, um, yeah. I don't have any other desires. Everything that I want, I've got. Yep. Very so, good. Nothing yet. Um, so you've, you've got, uh, you've just released a large range of merchandise and all that sort of stuff, um, through in the dark, um, in the dark seem to be doing a large new thing. I've, I've been, um, I actually positioned, um, to get Stephen on here, but I, from what I understand, he does not talk. No, he um, doesn't talk. He does not talk. Um, so <laughs> tell him I have not given up. I, um, I still want him to talk because I, I think it would be a really good um, conversation with him and, and be really good to see the schematics of, um, of how, uh, how he has uh, taken over the, the drag touring scene of, of Australasia. I would love to um, listen to that interview. I think he's an amazing guy and would have some really amazing things to say. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, so yeah, you've got a you've got a large uh, merchandise thing uh, range going out. I've uh, got my eyes on a couple couple new things as soon as uh, old Scomo's paycheck comes through. Yeah, sure. Um, pick yourself pick yourself out something. It's uh, all available at merchmother.com. Merchmother, that's the mm-hmm. one. Um, and you're working on some uh, individual videos and that sort of stuff. You were you were telling me. Yeah, to get me through the rest of lockdown, um, I am doing shout outs, happy birthdays, all those kind of videos. I'm asking $10 a pop for a video and I'm donating that $10 to a different charity every week. So for all the details and to, you know, get your own video, I'm kind of promoting that through my Instagram at Karen from finance. So you can check out those videos and those opportunities on there. The first week um, uh, is kicking off for wear, wear at Purple Day and all the funds for, uh, raised by the videos are going to the the lovely students, kids, and people at Wear It Purple. Right. What is, uh, what is Wear It Purple? Wear It Purple is an um, amazing LGBTIQA plus uh, community organization that was started by students and, and young people alike uh, to raise awareness about, um, I, guess, I guess, like, you know, kind of the depression and the struggles that young people go through trying to face their identity uh, growing up as a queer person. Yep. Is there, um, what, what other sort of foundations and stuff would you align with? Oh, uh, and I, another really amazing foundation for young queer people is minus 18. Um, yep. they'll probably be the, the, the next, uh, the next charity that I, that I give my, you know, raised money to. They do, they do wonderful things. They were, um, minus 18 was started by a guy who's kind of a similar age to me when he was much younger and he's um, carried that torch and now minus 18 has grown into this huge organization that does wonderful things for our youth. Yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. I would love to, um, with this podcast, as soon as it gets um, a little bit of a following to have a um, sort of donation tab uh, or some sort of 
uh, thing where we can <clears throat> choose a foundation that's important to the guests that we can discuss and, um, and, and raise some awareness throughout all the other episodes. But um, yeah, great. Uh, at this stage, uh, one episode is out. This will be out in three or four weeks. And I can confirm that probably about 13 people have listened. So hopefully. Hey, you're going to surprise yourself. You're going to surprise <laughs> yeah. yourself. Hopefully by the time uh, this one airs, we, um, we, we can double it at least. And Sounds can, great. Uh, yeah. Very good. All right, Richard, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank um, you so much for having me and thank you I so much to anyone we, um, that's had a listen. Very good. I hope that uh, as soon as all this uh, COVID stuff has had its fun, we can, um, we can share a drink and hopefully um, you and I can spend a, spend a New Year's Eve together at a, at a, at a, at a, at a wedding near you. I couldn't <laughs> be more excited if I tried. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers are crossed. Everyone stay at home so I can go and get married. Very good. All right, mate. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. It was so lovely. Thank you so much for chatting with me. I want to thank you all for listening so much to today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed our chat today. I'm really excited to announce that next week's guest is my good friend, Tristan Lucas. Tristan is a special effects and prosthetic makeup artist for some pretty big movies going around. Movies such as Pirates of the Caribbean, Aquaman, Alien, and many, many more. I really hope you're enjoying all these episodes on Mind All Podcast. Please feel free to jump back and listen to the previous episodes. And I want to thank you again for joining me on this journey as I figure out how to make a podcast work good. All right, guys, I'll talk to you next week. Thanks again for joining me on My Normal Podcast. <laughs>